Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the newest edition of the Hub of Champions with your host, Shukri Wrights, wherever you may be, however you may be listening. Thank you for making this show part of your day. I am very happy and excited to be back here with you talking all things Boston sports here on the Hub of Champions show for Believe Network. And you can always listen to this show on the TuneIn Radio app. Go to the Believe Network um, channel on TuneIn and listen to the show as well. And as always, you can follow me on social media at Shukri Wright. It's at S-H-U-K-R-I-W-R-I-G-H-T-S. That's how you can follow me on social media on, on Twitter, which is now known as X. Follow me on TikTok as well. And you can also follow me on Instagram at Radio underscore. That is how you can get a hold of me via my socials. There's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to get into in the world of Boston sports in which that I have to start with the Boston Bruins. And not for good reason. Not for good reason at all, because there was some disturbing news that broke out of Boston on Saturday as pertains to one Milan Lucic, the forward and left winger for the Boston Bruins. It was disturbing. It is a disturbing story. It is disappointing to hear. For a player that so many fans had admired and loved and respected, to have been involved in a domestic incident in which that Boston police was called and involved it's not a good look for Milan Lucic at all. There was more details that broke earlier today via Lauren Campbell of Mass Live, who also wrote the story in, in detailing what was in that police report. Here are some of the details from the police report that was mentioned in the article, which I just mentioned you can find on Mass Live. According to the police report, officers responded to a 911 call and met his wife in the lobby of the couple's North End home. She, Brett Luch's wife, responded to officers that her husband tried to choke her during an argument after he was unable to find his cell phone. Lucic believed she knew where it was and was hiding it from him. This was, this is directly from the quote. This quote that I'm about to read is from the report now. She stated that she attempted to walk away from her husband and stated that her husband grabbed her by the, by the hair and pulled her backwards, the report said, via the Boston Globe. She stated that in doing so, the suspect stated to her that she was not going anywhere. Furthermore, Lauren Campbell wrote, his wife denied medical treatment per the report and told officers Lucic had consumed alcohol but did not attempt to strangle her despite the officer seeming, seeing redness from her chest area. The police provided information about obtaining a restraining order under Massachusetts domestic violence protection law. No matter how you slice it, dice it, it is a terrible look for Lucic. It is terrible to hear about anybody, but especially since we're talking sports, pro athletes 
putting their hands on women. I have been really disappointed by a lot of what I've seen on social media since the news story initially broke on Saturday. I was really disappointed in how so many people were seemingly willing to jump and defend Milan Lucic after the news first broke, especially saying Lucic was my guy, he was my favorite player. None of that matters now. None of that should even matter to you at this point. What actually should matter to you is, is the safety of Brit, the children involved, and as well as what will come next on the side of the Boston Bruins. Because we have got to stop pedestalizing athletes and people that are in the, in the spotlight, whether they're celebrities or athletes or entertainers. Stop pedestalizing people, especially when they are in the wrong, especially when it comes to domestic violence. Because we see and hear this too much and too often that, oh, no, not him. Oh, no, that was, that's my dude. He could never do something like that. No. Unfortunately, now with the police report that has now come out, we know that what happened not only is it was truth, it was already truth to begin with, but you did have people that, that were doubting it. And now, according to a police report, we now know the full details as to what happened. That led to the 911 call and as well as the police report that was obtained by the Boston Globe. All I wish to say that Milan Lucic did not play for the Boston Bruins ever again. Milan Lucic did not play in the NHL again. But I'm going to specifically focus on the Boston Bruins part here. Because the Bruins did come out in front of this story, and they did announce that that Lucic was taking an indefinite leave from the team. We don't know at this time of the recording whether if that indefinite leave for the team will lead to his release from the Boston Bruins, or if this will in fact um, lead, lead to additional disciplinary action either by the team or by the NHL. We don't know. But as far as my personal opinion is concerned in regards to this story, it is absolutely disgraceful, disgusting, and it is appalling that a player or any man of any caliber will put his hand on a woman, especially if it's the woman who happens to be the mother of their children. It's wrong. It is disturbing and it's disgusting. I don't care how you slice it and dice it. There should be no room for that in society. There should be no room for that in the NHL or across any professional sport and even collegiate sports. But in 2023, unfortunately, what you see and what you hear on social media is people who willingly go on the side of defending domestic violence. There is no defending domestic violence. There's no defending Milan Lucic, whether if he was drunk or sober. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. And what should bother you, if you have any bone of, of decency within you, is that, unfortunately, 
and we've seen this too many times across sports, is, is that this type of thing happens far more too often. And there's so many more instances that we don't even hear about. So, yes, I'm not talking solely as a fan. I'm talking from a pure perspective on that this player and this individual, as I'm choosing my words carefully here, he has got to go. He cannot wear the Boston Bruins uniform any longer. There's no defending the actions of Milan Lucic. There's no, there's no coming out and saying, well, we're a family in here and that we're, we're going to do what we can to support Lucic and so forth because he's 100% in the wrong. There's, there's no other way to put it. The police report has now come out, and it, and it does paint him in such light that he was in the wrong. So if you're the Boston Bruins, the bigger question now becomes, now that you have the, the police report that has been obtained by the Boston Globe, what are you going to do as an organization? What are you going to do as an organization that prides itself on doing the right thing, by and large part? What happens next? I'm not worried about what, what, what will happen or how this would impact the roster. That's the least of my concerns. In fact, I don't even give a rat's ass about how it will impact the roster, what happens moving forward with Milan Lucic. I'm not worried about that. What I am worried about is the potential ramifications and the fallout from all of this and how that will impact Lucic's wife, Britt, and as well as their children. That's my concern. And that's where your concern should lie, not what goes on in the ice. So if you're the Boston Bruins, at this very hour, you need to cut bait with him ASAP. You need to cut him loose. There's no room for domestic violence in society. There's no room for domestic violence in sports. And unfortunately, this is forever going to tarnish the image of Lucic, who, as I said before, was a beloved figure, a beloved member of the Boston Bruins for a number of years prior to him being traded in the summer of 2015 to the L.A. Kings. And upon his return, so many people were excited for Lucic to be back. Now, none of that even matters. Because a matter that is as serious as domestic violence Cannot be taken lightly. Cannot be taken. Um, it cannot. It cannot be made light. It cannot be undermined. It can't. It needs to be dealt with severely, and I'm hoping that it's dealt with in a severe manner. I'm hoping that Brit and and their children that get the help and the support that they deserve. Because this is this is brutal. This is absolutely brutal on Mina Lucha's part. And what happens next for the Boston Bruins remains to be seen. As they are currently on a on a dash trip right now down in Florida, as they are going to be taking on the Tampa Bay Lightning at the time of this recording. As far as the Bruins 13-1 and 2 starters concerned. It is surprising. It's surprising on a number of fronts. 
let's start with the fact that when the season began, what were the expectations for the Boston Bruins? The expectations were, was this going to be a playoff team? Yes, but did you expect them to be on a 144-point pace, which would easily shatter last season's NHL record 135-point um, pace that they had during the regular season? It would. But did anybody expect it? No. Why is this 13-1-2 start by the Boston Bruins so surprising? This is my reason why. Number one, the depth of this team falls in comparison to last year's team. This team right now, as it currently stands, is not as deep as last year's team. When you're talking about Garner Hathaway, Taylor Hall, making helping you know make up the bottom six of your team, we're talking this is a pretty damn deep team to begin with. I mean, if we're going to be completely honest, losing Dimitri Arloff, Garner Hathaway, Tyler Bertuzzi in free agency, it stung initially. So there were questions as to how were the Bruins going to um, make up for the loss of, of the aforementioned players that I just mentioned. How were the Bruins going to, you know, answer the question in regards to its center role? Because it was a major question mark coming into the season. And that leads me to point number two. Why is this 13-1-2 start for the Boston Bruins surprising? No one knew what they were going to get from, from Matt Patras. No one. You saw just how good and how dynamic of a player he was during, um, during training camp for the Boston Bruins. But if we're going to be completely honest with ourselves, no one really thought that he was going to stay with the big club as long as he has. After watching him during preseason, it became clear to me that, hey, we got to keep this guy. And then all of, all of the Bruin fan base and media, it was about Patra's watch. Is he going to stay with the Bruins, but the big club passed 10 games? The answer was yes. When Jim Montgomery basically let it be known that Patras was doing such a tremendous job. It was just all the confirmation that I needed that that this guy wasn't going to go back to the OHL and play in, in, in Guelph. That wasn't going to be an option. But what I find amazing about it all is, is the fact that Patras not only has he stayed, but he has been an impactful player. That is another reason why this start by the Boston Bruins, as they are on the cusp of potentially reaching a 30-point mark already this season, is so impressive. That's number two. Number three, if you told me that, that, the, that the Bruins would end up keeping both Linus Omar and Jeremy Swayman to start the season, 
if you told me this back during the summer, I would have believed you, but I would have looked at it with a level of skepticism. The fact that the Boston Bruins kept both players, kept both goalies, reminded us all what we already knew, that goaltending was going to be the backbone of this team. And what you've seen so far is the fact that that Linus Olmark and Jeremy Swayman have both backstopped this team to a 13-1-2 record. This is arguably the best team in the Eastern Conference, dare I say, in the NHL. And it has a lot to do with those two goaltenders who have done tremendous, who have been tremendous in regards to giving this team an opportunity to, to, to win every single night. And that's all you could have asked for. And then reason number four, why am I surprised by the 13-1-2 start for the Boston Bruins is because the contribution that you've gotten from, from some of your free agents that have that have played a huge role for this team cannot be over it can't be overstated. Kevin Shattenkirk taking Mason Laurie under his wing. That's been critical. Very critical. James Van Riemsdyk. He has been key for this Bruins team, especially adding some offensive punch, um, especially for the bottom six. And I think that getting contributions from guys that you signed from over the summer is huge. It's, it was going to be important going into the season where you knew that you were losing a lot of your offensive punch that you had last year when you traded away Taylor Hall and Nick Felino, and as well as allowing Garner Hathaway Tyler Bertuzzi, Dimitri Olof to, to go in free agency, you needed those guys that you signed during the offseason to step up and step in. And they have done exactly that so far. That in itself has been huge. It's been huge for the Boston Bruins. And it's a big reason why they are where they are. Those are my reasons why this 13-1-2 record for the Bruins to start the season through 16 games, it is shocking. But some people say, well, I'm not surprised. Well, you should be. Because if you if you go back to opening night against the Chicago Blackhawks and you said to me that this team was going to get up to another historic start, I would say you're lying. Did I think they would get off to a good start? Yeah. But historic, this is this is the pace that they're on for 144 points. I wouldn't have believed you. No way, no way at all. So with that being said, I want to take a quick break here. Coming up next, where do the New England Patriots go from here? Because now that the Patriots come out of the bye week, we have to ask the tough question as, as it pertains to this team that is seemingly just spinning in one particular space. That and much more coming up next here on the Hope of Champions with your host, Shukri Wrights.
Welcome back to the Hub of Champions with your host, Shukri Wrights. Glad to be back here with you doing this show. You can follow me on social media on Twitter at Shukri Wrights, on TikTok at Shukri Wrights, on Instagram at srightsradio underscore. That is how you can get a hold of me there as well. Now, as it pertains to the New England Patriots, this team is 2-8. and eight. Color me shock because <laughs> I'm not shocked at all. But with this team coming back from the bye week, it's now time that we start asking the important questions as to where does this Patriots team go from here? And I think it's an important topic to discuss because it is beyond difficult at this point to envision a scenario where Bill Belichick returns to the New England Patriots as both the head coach and as well as the general manager of the Patriots next season. It's very difficult to envision that. So much so that we have all have seen different reports, different, um, different writing on the wall in which that Bill Belichick may be fired halfway through the season, or Bill Belichick already knows where his destination is going to be um, should he and Craft decide to part ways. None of which, none of which really surprises me. But personally, I'm at the point that Bill Belichick has to go. There's no if ands or buts about it. He's got to go. There have been too many examples and too much instances where the plan for Bill Belichick post Tom Brady came to light and when i say came to light meaning that he was rather exposed that he as he never really had a plan to begin with and or the mere fact that that bill the bill belichick thought that his style of coaching and his way of uh, of building a team was going to continue to succeed none of which happened it didn't continue to succeed in fact it failed and rightfully so, because we hear this, the saying all the time in life that a person who fails to who fails to plan is planning to fail. Bill Belichick has been planning to fail since the day that he allowed Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, to walk out the door. We can go back and look over the last three seasons including the COVID year, the year that Cam Newton was a starter. We can go back and look through the history and nitpick as to what Bill, Bill Belichick should have done. That's easy to do, but what good does that do now? The rosters in shambles, the skill position players, I mean, they've been pretty much non-existent. It's been pretty bad. The offensive line has been pretty horrific for the Patriots. And then the biggest question of them all is, what do the what do the New England Patriots do at quarterback? Because Mac Jones is not the franchise guy. He's not the franchise guy. And for you Mac, Mac Jones apologists out there, stop defending his play. Stop making excuses because we all know that the offensive line has been bad. We know that the skill position players have not performed at all. And the construction of this roster has been piss poor. Go ask Bill Belichick about that. But you, at some point, you have got to give Mac Jones a platter of accountability. 
And I'm not talking about Mac Jones being accountable to the media. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people that are defending him week in and week out across social media. Because at this point, it's moronic. It's truly moronic. How do you continue to defend a guy who has, mad, who has made poor decision after poor decision after poor decision? You just can't. That came in Frankfurt, Germany, in which that we all saw, <laughs> we all saw the writing on the wall in which that Mac Jones got benched against the Colts. That in itself was the final nail in the coffin for me. It was the final nail in the coffin. You can't go back to him now after what the Patriots just did in Germany against the Colts. No way. Absolutely no way. Which now leads me to the question, what do the Patriots do now? Number one, they definitely need a new coach. They need a new GM. That's number two. Number three, a deep dive into this roster and what the glaring areas of needs are for this team needs to be done with a new fresh set of eyes because it cannot be Bill Belichick. It can't. It cannot be him because you've given him the a power and the ability over the last 20 years, 20 plus years as head coach and GM. And things by and large part worked out when he had Tom Brady. Post Tom Brady not has been not been good. The results have been atrocious, with the exception of 2021. Matt Jones' best year as a pro so far. And now, as we enter a new era in Patriots football, because we're going to enter a new era, I mean, very shortly, that's going to be different from this era. It needs to be looked at with a different set of eyes because the reality is that this team needs a complete teardown and restart everything. New head coach, new general manager, new quarterback, you name it. Offensive line needs to be retooled, and that could only be done mostly via the draft. And I get that. Yes, I get that, um, that you can also do it via free agency through free agent signings and so forth. But by and large part, you want to be able to, to, to reconstruct your offensive line via the NFL draft, which is why when the season comes to an end, it's time to move on from Bill Belichick. It is time to really tear apart this roster because this roster, as it currently stands, not good enough. Not good enough to contend. Not good enough to even be a playoff team. Right now, there's a reason why this Patriots team is in the contest, or should I say, sweepstakes, for either Caleb Williams or Drake May. There's a reason why. Because of where they are, because of the one and only Bill Belichick. So the Patriots, they need a new quarterback. And the game against the New York Giants on Sunday is going to be very huge in terms of NFL draft implications in 2024. If you're the Patriots, do you tank to get a top two draft pick? Because that's a real question that you have to ask now. Because you have to move on from Mac Jones. Even with a new head coach and a new general manager, you have to move on from, from a guy who has 
absolutely underperformed and has answered every single question about his ability to be a starter for this team. Can he do it elsewhere? Sure. I think Mac Jones could still be a, a viable starting quarterback in the NFL, but not for the New England Patriots. That's where we are. And that's why I do think that if you're the Patriots, you have to ask, are, are you looking to tank to get a top two pick? I think you should. Because right now, this franchise is screwed Where with Mac Jones under center as a starting quarterback. That's just the harsh truth of the matter. And that's why I do think that if you're the Patriots, as you come back from the bye and you're getting ready to face the New York Giants this weekend, it is important that we that we look at not just solely the um, the wins and losses. Yeah, obviously, most teams are trying to win a game. I get that. Obviously, that should, that should always be the goal in the NFL, but that's not the reality. When you're a really bad team and you're a bottom five team in the league, you're looking to tank more times than not, especially if you know that the upcoming draft is going to be a quarterback heavy draft filled with great NFL um, quarterback prospects. The Patriots, for the first time in who knows how long, have found themselves to be in this position. That's why I think it's important that the Patriots look at this from a from a new lens point of view and make the right decision that's going to benefit them both in the short term and as well as the long term as well. In continuation with the pod, and in conclusion, just got a couple more topics I want to touch on real quick. I think this is an interesting time if you're the Boston Red Sox, as we are now going through the first wave of the hot stove season in which that uh, we're already seeing, you know, players get re-signed by their teams, you know, specifically uh, Aaron Nola, who re-signed with the Philadelphia Phillies for seven years, $170 million. For the Boston Red Sox, I think it's really fascinating to see how this all is going to unfold this offseason in terms of what is Craig Breslow's um, plan to get this team back to prominence. That's really the million-dollar question that I have. And the reason is because I'm really is – I really am um, curious to see what Craig Breslow's uh, like approach is going to be in terms of, you know, making sure that the Red Sox or a team that returns back to contention um, in 2024, because that is the mandate by, um, by, by the ownership group um, at Fenway Park. Get the Red Sox back to contention. And you kind of have an idea as to the style in which that Craig Breslow likes to pursue uh, free agents. And I thought that Jim McCaffrey – a uh, Red Sox writer and reporter for the Athletic really did a terrific uh, piece uh, earlier today on it, in which that if you look at how Breslow um, went and and like basically persuade um, Jamison Talian to sign with the Cubs as a free agent, that should be a pretty good indicator as to how um, Breslow uh, will more than likely approach on uh, free agency. You know, being able to go out and meet with the guy, like talk to him, you know, like, you know, pick his brain, especially when it comes to 
the pitching side of things, which is, I believe, highly important as we go into 2024. And not just only important because of just right now, but no, but because I think when you look at the Red Sox going to 2024, this is a critical offseason for um for a number of reasons, but most namely because you want to see what type of development takes place during this offseason from 2023 into 2024 with some of the young arms that the Boston Red Sox have in their rotation. Brian Bale, Garrett Whitlock, Tanner Howick, those three most, most particularly. And that directly ties into why the Red Sox went out and they got Andrew Bailey as their pitching coach. And I thought that was a really important get and a great get by Craig Breslow because if you follow Major League Baseball and if you follow most namely the San Francisco Giants and the work that Bailey did with the San Francisco Giants, Andrew Bailey was a critical get for the Red Sox in terms of the development of Bayo. Tanner Howick, and as well as Garrick Whitlock, amongst others. And I think that getting on Bailey is only going to help like pitchers like Bale, who, who is basically looked at as the future ace of the Boston Red Sox, helping him take that next step, next, uh, next step in terms of his development. I think and that's really important. It's super important for the Red Sox this offseason to be aggressive in the, in the free agent market, especially when it comes to signing free agents. Of everything that I've read, I think it's great that they're they're going to be involved in pursuing Shohei Otani and free agency and so forth. Although he will not be able to pitch in 2024, not until 2025, as he recovers from Tommy John surgery. I think it, it would be huge if the Red Sox were able to get Shohei Otani. And I think that it will be important for the Red Sox to monitor and, and, and keep an eye on the development of young of young arms such as Tannehill, as well as Brian Bale. Brian Bale, who I I personally really like, he's it's a live arm that they have in that rotation who has the potential to be a front end starter, and as well as Garrett Whitlock. So that's just a quick Red Sox thought that I have in terms of. The offseason that that is ahead that we're well now a couple of weeks into as to the, what the Red Sox are doing and what I think they should be doing, be more aggressive in the free agent market. And I like what they, they have done so far in terms of bringing Andrew Bailey as the pitching coach. But how will it translate to to unlocking the potentials of, of some of the young guys in this rotation and as well as getting um, more out of the bullpen which at times was really lackluster in 2023, that remains to be seen. But there is one area, in my opinion, that I think the Red Sox should really focus on this offseason is improving the defense. Improve the defense because the defense was bad in 2023. It was bad. And it cannot be more the same in 2024, especially if you're expecting that this team is going to return back to being a contender again. They have to be better defensively. That I think it's really important. And now also, I want to transition from Red Sox to Celtics to sneak in a couple of notes I want to talk about very briefly as pertains to the Boston Celtics. I think what we've seen so far for the Celtics to start the season 
has been nothing short of amazing to watch. Even when they don't play their best game, they still find a way to win. Most notably the other night against the Memphis Grizzlies, as they were they were without Marcus Smart, the former Celtic. Um, and I I thought that that what you've seen from this team this season so far is their ability to find different ways to win. And what I've seen from critical um, from guys like most namely Sam Hauser, who comes off the bench, has been nothing short of amazing. Shooting-wise, he's having an outstanding season. But what I've seen this year that has been an absolute revelation is the fact that Sam Hauser can defend. He can really defend re- really well. And that has been the biggest key for me when I look at the Boston Celtics um, this season. Of course, obviously, Drew Holiday's arrival and his, you know, his presence on the court defensively and how the Celtics have not missed a step in terms of the defensive aspect of things um, since his arrival, and as well as what you've gotten out of Kristaps Porzingis as well. Because Porzingis has been absolutely as advertised. When healthy, he has been productive offensively. He has given you effort on the defensive boards as well in terms of rebounding in everything. And the continued growth of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum in 2023-2024 has been a big reason why the Celtics currently have the best record in the NBA. But there's a lot of basketball left to be played. There's a lot more that I I look forward to seeing. I look forward to continue to see um, how Peyton Pritchard continues to be a, a valued contributor offensively coming off the bench and as well as seeing what, what the bench can continue to, to do and, pro- and produce offensively and as well as uh, defensively. As I mentioned, Sam Hauser has been dynamite, uh, both offensively and as well as defensively, most particularly as well. I want to say thank you for, to all of you that have taken the time to watch the pod, listen to the pod, those who follow me on social media. I appreciate you as always. Don't forget to hit subscribe. Subscribe to the pod wherever you get your podcast. Hub of Champions on Believe Network. You can stream it as well on the TuneIn page on TuneIn Radio across the country. Listen on the TuneIn Radio app as well. You can listen on iHeartRadio wherever you get your podcast. Watch the episode on YouTube as well. Follow me on socials at Shukri Writes at Shukri Writes on Twitter and as well as TikTok. Instagram at S Rights Radio as well. Thank you all for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. I'll be back again next time with another episode of the Hub of Champions on Believe Network. This is Shukri Ray signing off. Good night, everybody. Hope you had a great day. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day as well. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.